0: When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're going to talk about a guy who had some enemies, and when they couldn't find any dirt on him, they tried to get him killed for being annoyingly devout. Well, welcome to the world of Daniel, and I'm glad you're here. A reading from the prophet Daniel. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps stationed throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, including Daniel. To these the satraps gave account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Soon Daniel distinguished himself above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. So the presidents and the satraps tried to find grounds for complaint against Daniel in connection with the kingdom, but they could find no grounds for complaint or any corruption because he was faithful and no negligence or corruption could be found in him. The men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So the presidents and satraps conspired and came to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the interdict and sign the document, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the interdict. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room, open toward Jerusalem and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and found Daniel praying and seeking mercy before his God. Then they approached the king and said concerning the interdict, O king, did you not sign an interdict that anyone who prays to anyone divine or human within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions? The king answered, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they responded to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, Pays no attention to you, O king, or to the interdict that you have signed, for he is saying his prayers three times a day. When the king heard the charge, he was very much distressed. He was determined to save Daniel And until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. Then the conspirators came to the king and said to him, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no interdict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I like how the text describes this Challenge to Daniel's leadership. It says that the king appointed him to this job as one of the presidents, <clears throat> and then the king gave him even more responsibilities because he was doing a good job. And it is at that very moment that these satraps and presidents, these other guys, who got passed over for the top, top, top job, um, conspire to get rid of him. Um. Just the fact that he's in charge means that there's people that want him not to be. Um, I think in all leadership or anything where we're in charge, whether it's, you know, when we're in school and somebody makes us the line leader for that day, or you're in a job or position or really anything where you have the smallest shred of authority, um, it's amazing how that changes the dynamic of every relationship. When I was an RA resident advisor in my college dormitory, I found that to be very true then. And I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that people just thought things about me because I was an RA and had the tiniest little bit of authority in that system. Um, And uh, I've never really gotten comfortable with that fact that um, just the fact of existing in a position like Daniel's doing or anything less than that uh, means that there's people that think you could do it better and people that think you shouldn't do it at all. Um, and that's where they they try to get rid of him by killing him. It's um, Irving Yalom in his book about group dynamics, uh, probably the best book I've ever read about how to how a group functions and how a group can really be a good thing for people to be involved in. And it could be any group, but um, his groups were centered on therapeutic outcomes for processing mental health uh, issues and struggles. But this really applies to any group. He says there's three phases to every group. There is the cocktail party phase where everybody just kind of talks, with very surfacey kind of things in their life, like about, you know, how many kids they have or what kind of job they have or what they're doing this weekend, or um very, very socially acceptable and polite, non-intrusive, not really vulnerable um, discussions, and that's normal. And the second phase of a group's formation is where they try to kill the leader. Um, this is Irving Yellum. Um, and not kill necessarily, but there becomes a, a challenge to that leader's authority. And all that means is that the group process is actually happening, where the group itself is forming an identity that um, is struggling with the leader's influence on the group as they are trying to become a group. Um, Moving through that second stage, if the leader doesn't panic and get too upset, um, it all goes okay. And then stage three is real intimacy in a group where people really can say exactly what they're feeling and thinking. They can give each other honest feedback about how they feel about the other people's actions and words. Um, And it can be done in a place of trust, not in a... um, a place of attack or threat and shame. Um, It's very clear that everyone's staying in the group, no matter how we, um, the kind of feedback we might give to each other. And I've always kind of looked in the Bible for those kinds of examples. and, And this is probably one where we can see that pattern really clearly with Daniel. They're trying to get rid of him. Um, just for the fact that he's been put in charge. and they always um, and they make it very clear that they have nothing on him. They, there's no corruption and you can imagine the Babylonian and Persian Empire level of corruption. Um, nothing in the modern world could probably approach that level of, of greed and corruption among leaders. I, 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 from what little I know of ancient history, um, the absolute power that, that monarchs and emperors wielded as gods, and those under them functioned on behalf of the emperor, who was not always a good or fair person, um, government of, of posts were pretty much just ways to advance your own agenda to become wealthy and leave a legacy. And that is still true today in many ways in power politics and things like that, but In this time period, it's even worse. There's less accountability because, especially if you're far from the flagpole, there's very little scrutiny on what you're doing out there. Um, In an empire, you send people way far away to do the work of the emperor in those places, and they can pretty much do whatever they want because they're backed up with an army that is unstoppable. And so you can imagine the level of corruption that these guys were used to seeing Daniel isn't doing any of it he's not taking bribes for justice um, he is not um, do making laws and passing policies that only enrich himself he's actually doing things fairly and justly the way the law of God has commanded justice to be done most of the Torah, Uh, The law of Moses deals with how to have justice in a community. How does a community practice justice where everybody um, has the same penalty for wrong actions? Unlike most of the ancient law codes of the ancient world that had very different penalties for different classes of people, the Torah um, has pretty much a consistent penalty for uh, crimes across the board for every rank of person or wherever they fit in that community—a um, pretty big innovation in the history of law—that everyone's equal under the law. Um, it's not completely 100% in every case, but this is um, this is what the what Daniel was used to hearing about. How the law of Moses um, was an attempt to stop corruption in government, and so. Um, they, they can only find one thing that he does, and that's pray every day. He faces Jerusalem from his upper room balcony. He lives in an apartment. Daniel lives in an apartment. Um, shout out to all of us apartment dwellers. Um, and he goes out there and prays every day. And they all see him. Um, he's on his knees three times a day to pray. Morning, noon, and evening. Here establishing a pattern of prayer that kind of works in life. Mealtimes, um, as we think of them, or times of prayer. That's what he's doing. That's the corruption that Daniel is involved in. That's the scary thing he's doing, is praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from this kingdom of Persia. Well, they use a legal loophole, the irrevocable laws of the Medes and the Persians. They use this uh, perversion of justice, I'm sure the principle was not meant to be used to entrap people for just praying, but they're using laws. Corrupt people and evil people always use legal means to do what they're going to do. Um, they'll probably be better at it than you are, and uh, they'll they'll have a way to to use the law to to hurt people. We see this over and over again in human history. We see it in the story of Daniel. Everything they do is completely legal. Um, just because something's legal doesn't make it right. St. Augustine said this, and Mark, Dr. Martin Luther King quoted Augustine in his letter from the Birmingham jail saying that just because something is legal doesn't mean it's just or right. We actually ought to think about that. What is justice? What is, what is truth and what is right and what is kind and what is loving versus just what is legal. And yet these corrupt and evil and murderous men have found a way to um, use the law to kill their rival that they see as a rival. And the penalty is this den of lions. Lions lived all over the ancient Near East. Um, For many years, the Tower of London was a zoo. People would give kings of England various wild animals from all over the world, especially in their colonial expansion time. But even before that, in the medieval period, gifts of lions and tigers and things were a very common thing to give to other kings, from one king to another. And so there were these lions that lived in the Tower of London for many years that they called Barbary lions, because they were from North Africa, the Barbary coast. And they they had a special classification of lion, unlike the big ones that live in the Serengeti. They were a little smaller and lighter. And then a hundred or so years later, they did DNA testing on these lions and found out that they were actually just regular old lions that were really skinny because they were malnourished and far from home, living in a cold environment. So um, the gifts of lions. So the king has lions, a den of them, some sort of cage of lions that he throws people into as a scary punishment and execution method. Um, This is not a normal justice system that we would think of in the modern world. It is one of corruption, of greed and brutality. This is Roman Colosseum level uh, torture to have a penalty being thrown to lions in this way. And that's what Daniel's uh, facing. Um, because he prayed. This is um, a testament to Daniel's unwavering faith in the midst of hardships and uncertainties. He doesn't know really what to do all the time. God doesn't always tell him what to do in all these stories, but he knows that he prays three times a day. I think in times of uncertainty in our lives, when you're not sure what's going to happen. Or you have things that you want to work out, but you're not sure how they're going to do that. When you're anxious, uncertain, um, despairing, discouraged you name it I think having a regular pattern of prayer can help with some of that, Um, especially when we're far from home, like Daniel is, to establish this as the place where God meets us. Remember, the temple has been destroyed the symbol of the presence of God. So when Daniel's facing Jerusalem, he is facing the temple. He is facing that symbol of God's presence with God's people. He is doing what we do with Jesus in this modern time. Jesus is ascended into heaven bodily and sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And and we are far from him. We have the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And yet we, we look for him and we know he's far off but we look for him and we point our prayers to him uh, far away, like Daniel does, no matter what, three times a day, however many times we need it. And God is faithful. And tomorrow is Saturday, so we won't be reading morning prayer together. But as you know, um, before uh, this... this. um, uh, as you know, he's thrown into the lion's den and the lions don't eat him. Um, That is the miracle of God. Just like the fiery furnace delivery, God delivers Daniel from the lion's den. And there is so much um, symbolism there, but in reality, Daniel um, was worried about a real lion. So from one lion to another, Blue, my cat, who is enjoying a feast here, Um, we thank God for the cats in the Bible. There are not any house cats in the Bible that we know of, but we do have these lions who actually become agents of God. They become God's workers to do justice for Daniel because they do not eat Daniel, who is innocent. In fact, they end up eating the people that accused him of this false Wrongdoing. Pray the collect for this week. O God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread. Open the eyes of our faith, that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is Friday, April 28th. We'll do um, yesterday's Saints since I was traveling on the road and didn't bring the book with me. Or actually, we could do Saturdays, too. Let's do Saturdays since Catherine of Siena is a little, hits a little closer to home than Zita of Tuscany. But both are wonderful people. Catherine of Siena is, um, there is one Episcopal church in our diocese named after her, um, her prophetic witness and as a mystic. I think it's in Siena, Texas, but I could be wrong. Somewhere near Houston. Catherine Benicasa. Catherine Benicasa was the youngest of 25 children. Let that sink in. Of a dyer of Siena, I guess a cloth dyer. At six years of age, she had a remarkable vision that decided her life's vocation. Walking home from a visit, she stopped on the road and gazed upward, oblivious to everything around her. I beheld our Lord seated in glory with St. Peter, St. Paul, and St. John. She went on to say later that the Savior smiled on her and blessed her. From then on, Catherine spent most of her time in prayer and meditation, despite her mother's attempts to force her to be like the other girls. To settle matters, Catherine cut off her hair, her chief beauty— Her family harassed her continually, but in the end, convinced that she was deaf to all opposition, her father let her do as she wished, close herself away in a darkened room, fast and slept on boards. Eventually, she was accepted as a third-order Dominican postulant. Catherine had numerous visions and was also tried most severely by temptations. Frequently, she felt totally abandoned by God. At last, in 1366, the Savior appeared with Mary and the heavenly host and espoused her to himself, thus ending her years of lonely prayer and struggle. She became a nurse, as Dominican tertiaries regularly did, caring for patients with leprosy and cancer, whom other nurses disliked to treat. Opinion in Siena, where she lived and grew up, was sharply divided about whether she was a saint or a fanatic. And this is always the line with all the saints. Um, As Martin Luther said, they weren't called saints because they had easy lives. They were called saints because they struggled against the difficulties of their life. So they were not um, pristine people. All the saints were not, um, they had a lot of chaotic stuff happening to them and in them. Uh, When the Bishop of Capua was appointed as her confessor, he helped her to win full support from the Dominican mother house. Catherine was a courageous worker in a time of severe plague. She visited prisoners condemned to death and she was constantly called upon to arbitrate feuds and to prepare troubled sinners for confession. And one thing in the lives of the saints we we rarely get to see because this kind of stuff doesn't happen up on the stage. Usually we hear about visions and books people wrote or uh, sometimes things that they did publicly. But most of what the saints, all the saints did was caring for people who were in trouble and were scared and were suffering. That's what most of the saints do today. Um, And that stuff, you can't really um, publish that or put it up on the billboard or, or even let everybody know about it. But that is ultimately what saints do then, like Catherine, and what saints do now. During the great schism of the papacy with rival popes in Rome and Avignon, Catherine wrote tirelessly to princes, kings, and popes, urging them to restore the unity of the church. She even went to Rome to press further for the cause. Um, The idea that the Roman Catholic Church was always like it was is completely false historically. Um, One of the things the Protestants in the Reformation made very clear was that church councils and popes and other things that had authority in the Roman Catholic Church contradicted each other and made different rulings. And it sometimes had two different popes. That they acknowledged and they um, were divided upon which one was the real pope. The Avignon Papacy was in France, far from Rome, but that was considered the seat of the Roman Catholic Church by many. Um, And this really troubled Catherine. Um, So the idea of an unbroken church or a church that was in perfect harmony is never true. Even of the early church, people often say things about the early church. We ought to be more like the early church. Um, And we are like the early church in that they had a lot of uh, discussions, and they had a lot of division, and they had a lot of different opinions about a lot of things, um, and a lot of other things, too. Uh, There was never a time in any church history where everything was just smooth sailing, where everything was perfect and easy. And there is no time in, in any historical person's life where that was true. and there's certainly never a time in our lives where that was true. We might romanticize childhood as being pristine, but that's usually just the result of us not knowing a lot of things um, because we were kids. And we sort of project that on other times of the church. But um, Catherine lived a real life in a real time, um, and and her many letters to all manner of people are evidence of her faith. Catherine wrote a dialogue, a mystical work dictated in ecstasy. Exhausted and paralyzed, she died at the age of 33. Um, she certainly had a troubled life, um, and that's why so many were unsure whether she um, was having visions or uh, from God or whether she was a fanatic. And she was kind of a little bit of both from what I've read about her Um, And I hope to meet her someday and ask her some of those questions myself um, in the heavenly world where she lives. But she was someone that um, followed Jesus all the way. And that is something that um, I admire about her and her mystical and prophetic witness. Almighty and everlasting God, who kindled the flame of your love in the heart of your servant, Catherine of Siena, Grant to us, grant unto us the same strength of conviction and power of love, that as we rejoice in her triumph, we may profit by her example. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, his most dear Son, went not up to joy, but first he was, first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.